Hi, and welcome to another episode of a documentary podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Catherine. And we're two filmmakers who talk about documentaries. Yes. <laughs> I love our awkward interests. I know. This, let's just get straight to the point, you know. I mean, it goes with our title, as we said before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so today's episode is exciting and different. We have an interview with Ryan Bayless, who directed a lot of films, including this new documentary, Good Monsters, which is beautiful. Yes. Incredible cinematography. A very, It's a very touching portrait of an artist, but through what makes him an artist. Absolutely. I think he does a really good job at avoiding the artist documentary tropes. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the best way possible. It's just, it feels like really original and personal and you're living with this person. And I know you were really appreciating the cinematography in it and we didn't really oh, get to it- talk with him about it, so... He touched briefly on it, but he shot it himself, and there's some scenes where it's he knows a camera and he knows lighting incredibly well, and it just continually adds, I think, to the intimate moments in the film. Absolutely, and I really appreciated the the colors. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh and... yeah, we didn't even talk about the contrast between some of it's shot in black and white, and uh-huh. some of it's in color. Um, oh, there's so I much, so much that we could have touched so on. So much more, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to but have it's a great back interview, yeah. Yeah, totally. I had a lot of fun doing this interview. Yeah. Um, I think we'll skip the part where we talk about films that we've been watching, unless you want to talk about it. Um, I haven't seen anything that stood out to me lately. Um, so yeah, I think we can probably just jump straight into the interview. Yeah, I think we'll just jump straight into this. Uh, he talks a little about a little bit about where to see his films, but uh, look up Robel Films, R O B E L Films, and there will be a link in the description, and you can check out this new film, Good Monsters. Yeah, I definitely highly recommend it. Hey, I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Ryan Bayless. Uh, I've got a new documentary called Good Monsters. Uh, that I'm just about to premiere in Indianapolis. Uh, I made the film because uh, I met the subject in Indianapolis uh, when I attended the film festival like 10 years ago. Um, he, he worked for the design company that did uh, the, that helps market the film festival, and um, we became good friends, and so I made a film about him, not about the festival or anything. but um, And so now we're about to premiere it back where we met, which is pretty cool. Uh, I've been making feature films for about a decade, I guess, maybe 11 years or so, uh, on my own dime, out of my own pocket, uh, which doesn't mean that much because it literally costs like a dime sometimes. Um, and I've made about, I guess, at least a film a year, if not two, and I'm trying to like triple that if I can. Um, I'm trying to put out 12 feature projects this year. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's like my oh, goal. Geez. Some yeah. of those are stuff that I shot, you know, like this is this has been like an ongoing five-year doc project, so that'll count as one of them. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because mm-hmm. uh, I became aware of you. Um, man, I don't even know how I came across you guys. Actually. I was I actually was wondering that too. No, <laughs> was it. It might have been because, uh, so whenever I was making my first films, um, mm-hmm. I was really into like Joe Swanberg and I think sure. you, you guys did a movie with him. We did. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, uh, like later on down the road, maybe when me and Zach, who, um, you guys know, but maybe people listening to the podcast don't know, um, is like my filmmaking partner when we're making a lot of narrative films and, we were making a feature film and I think that I was just looking for like no budget films or something. I don't know exactly how I searched it, but I came across NSFW. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I thought the artwork was really cool. And the fact that you guys made a book looked really cool. So I actually just ordered it online sight unseen Mm -hmm. and loved it. And then I, and then I watched a bunch of your other films that I think were on Hulu at the time. And then, and then we were like following each other on Instagram and yeah. 
I've I've started so many legit friendships through Instagram. Oh, I don't yeah. know how it's happened. Uh, <laughs> like film film ones, same and actually Vimeo for some reason. <laughs> uh, I, I met my friend Eddie, uh, who I've made a film with. This guy Edgar Munez. He's a he's a director in California. I think we met on Vimeo. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, but same kind of thing. Where like I was on the hunt for like new stuff, and he had mm. made like all these films that nobody ever heard of and i was just got obsessed same thing yeah um so i I like internet friends the best i think totally me too (laughs) cool so with that um let's get into your new film a little bit so it's called good monsters that's right and uh yeah let's uh give people an introduction into what it's about and who it's about cool well it's funny enough you mentioned uh nsfw in the book because that was a project that Eric Stein and I worked on together. So Eric, uh, he, he designed the whole book. He printed the book. He did, like, that's really his, that was his baby, uh, uh, and helped make the film. He's just, he's just kind of amazing designer um, and artist uh, from Indianapolis. Well, originally from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, I, so the film, we met at the film festival, and then the film didn't really start. We didn't really start making it till about five years later. So it took about five years to make. We started making it five years ago, something like that. Um, and uh, we started making it because I was attending the festival again for another film, and I was gonna. So I wanted to spend like a week hanging out with him because we had become good friends. Uh, and so uh, I told him I was gonna come shoot some stuff because I really loved his art and I wanted to make maybe an art film, you know, some sort of film about his his work. Um, and he's not, what's interesting about Eric is you would never consider him a chatty guy. Like, he's not somebody who's, like, going to just wear his heart on his sleeve. Most people who probably have known him for 20 years, when they see this film, are, are going to be completely blown away. Um, just because he's not, he's not a chatty guy. But luckily, I uh, am inquisitive and insistent and uh, bothered him for a couple of summers. And I think we, we started to dig in. But the first year was really about just, like, you know, tell me about your life. Tell me about your upbringing. Well, how's that influence your art? You know, kind of because I thought he was like a really cool, like just hip dude. Um, and so I started to learn a little bit about his family. And he's he's biracial, and that plays into the film a little bit. Uh, and it has, uh, and it became a, this sort of glaring. Now I wouldn't. I don't know if I want to say issue, but uh, topic was you know his relationship with his father, which was sort of estranged. He had, hadn't seen his father and. 20 or 25 years and uh for most of the film it was like well maybe eventually we'll talk about that and how that relates to your art which is what the film sort of ended up being but it was also like maybe we'll meet him maybe we'll and that be you know and it used to be like well the film's not done until they meet and then i started realizing of course i I mean i don't want to give anything away but the, the emotional toil of of doing something like that is is really tricky. So it was always sort of ball was always in his core as far as like if that was going to happen. Um, and then one day I realized we had made we had made the film and it was you know I I had sort of I mean I would say ninety five percent of the movie is just Eric by himself, which is quite a feat considering uh, it's a sixty five minute feature doc uh, and he's the only voice. I, I've never made a film like that in my life. It's usually a bunch of people talking wall to wall. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's, in short, the film is really about this sort of biracial artist trying to figure out his work uh, by exploring the relationship with his estranged uh, and what we learn, imprisoned father. So how receptive was he to opening up? Because I feel like at times it seems like he's going through it as he's speaking it. Like it's some yeah. of the, like he's realizing it as he's talking. Um, yeah. And did he open up that quickly, or like you said, you knew him for over like five years before you kind of started the project? Yeah, I mean, we had been talking for five years about stuff, so I had a sense of his life and what was going on. I would say that he, I can, I can tell, especially in the early days when he was sort of performing for me, uh, to, for, and and even even later in the film when he was sort of performing. Like our best stuff, we did this interview, we we did this road trip, sort of the last summer that we were shooting. Um, We'd shot some stuff after that, but we did this road trip to try to just sort of wear ourselves out and like give a sense of like trajectory and like going somewhere. And like we called it our spiritual journey. Uh, and it was just like this three week kind of through the South road trip. And that was when we like started to break down a lot of those walls just because it was like just sheer tired, tiredness. Like we had, you know, I would say that I'm probably 
the world's expert on his mind outside of him. And I still am learning kind of crazy stuff. Even after the film, I learned stuff about his family life that was like completely shocking to me that I don't, that never made it into the film that won't make it into the film. That's, you know, uh, yeah, I, just stuff that's like, wow, where was that when we were doing these, like, long interviews? Um, but really, I would say, like, for me, the, one of the bigger breakthroughs was we were shooting in New Orleans, and it, we had been on the road for, like, maybe a week and a half or two weeks, just, like, driving different places, hanging out in cities. And he was, he, he Eric is very, I think he would, he would say he's bipolar, uh, but Eric is, he lives alone, or he used to mostly live alone. Um, and is re- really requires a lot of alone time, a lot of like personal time. And so being in the road with Deirdre and I, uh, just the three of us for long extended periods was definitely tough on him. But I think there was a moment in New Orleans where he was just sort of like, I'd been asking him all these questions all day long and the ra- car rides and stuff. We just went nonstop talking and he, uh, sort of like those walls just broke down. You could just tell that there was just like, it felt tense. Like it was like kind of scary to do the interview. Like I was nervous. But it was just a matter of like, all right, let's just connect. Let's just take this time. Like we can feel the tension. Uh, let's just take this time and like talk and like explore what that tension is. And I think that's when we got to a lot of the stuff about like sort of the pain. Because we've been, you know, and, and like the pain that he'd been living with for so long. It was like, that's not easy to tap into every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, 30 years, 35 years of, of sort of childhood trauma, essentially. Uh, and somebody's like, knocking at its door constantly for weeks at a time um uh but that's you know so i wouldn't say he was easy to open up but i you know we did i did enough what i would consider like exploratory missions uh that we got to where we needed to go i think i'm curious about when i was watching the film i was just really struck by his relationship with his dog and just those scenes of him like this isn't really giving anything away because they're like one of the first scenes is just him feeding the dog with his hand, like reaching into the dog bowl and like feeding the dog. And there was just something so telling about that. And I think that it really ties into like kind of his relationships and all that stuff. And just like, and he mentions like letting this dog into his life, like, how did you kind of view that while you were filming it and whenever you were editing the film? Well, I mean, his relationship with Solomon, his dog, uh, is incredible, was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a parent out of the gate. And now I saw Solomon, I mean, uh, at his sort of the, the golden years of his life, his last like sort of five years of his life. And I saw him age and get go from being a pretty healthy dog to a pretty unhealthy dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing Eric sort of respond to that was fairly interesting and i was really nervous i mean in general just because i know that that bond was so special and 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 looking through eric's childhood photo albums and stuff he oh he's in pictures with all kinds of i mean dogs played a very important part of his life Mm -hmm. um and i started to draw the comparison as i think i do in the film that is he was sort of the dog became this sort of conduit for love or something that he needed uh, that he couldn't for, I mean, and many people are this way with animals. I think that they have a hard time interacting with humans or like dealing with other human relationships that animals kind of become a safety place. And for Eric that I, and, and for Solomon in many ways, Solomon was like a, a single person dog as well. Like you, you, you know, Eric has horror stories about people being bit by Solomon and Solomon got to know me because I would spend weeks sleeping on the floor uh, near near his dog bed, but uh, he's not the kind of dog that you you get too close to or put your camera in his face. <laughs> um, but we we also created enough of a bond that it worked. But uh, yeah, I mean, it became very apparent as Solomon was his health was declining that there was something really beautiful happening. Uh, that Eric was often opening up himself to realizing that Solomon wasn't going to be around forever and that he needed to love other creatures essentially. Uh, if he was going to survive. Absolutely. I think that came across really beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I think that was yeah. just the whole film, like, uh, was handled so with so much care and like tenderness in a way. And I really appreciated that about it. 
Like it seemed like the film really cares about this person. And then this person really cares about this dog. And there's just all these like feelings and man, I don't even know. I don't know what to say about it. It just, <laughs> it really, yeah, no, I, it really I, affected yeah. me. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Cause I felt like it was so intimate and like humanistic at times. And I was just curious of how you picked what parts of his life to include. Cause you created such a dynamic character, but one that was so relatable in many ways, even though like, I don't have too much in common with him, but it was a really great portrait of a person. So with all your footage, how did you sort of, hone down what you wanted to focus on that's a great question i mean i think that's like every documentary well every film i think is that's the the inherent question and in this case too like i said i have five years worth of footage and some of it was you know process like art process him making stuff and some of it was just talking about love and and then stuff talking about family we talked you know we we definitely what became apparent was the, his relationship with his father and his relationship with his dog. And so then those two things kept coming up in the sort of line of questioning. Um, and I think that, I mean, I really didn't, I had made a version of the film that was a little more straightforward, a little less. I mean, if anyone knows my work, it's that I probably chase emotional arcs over like sort of strong narrative arcs. Um, and in this case, I essentially felt like I had made a film that explained his story, but it was just not, it didn't have any of the heart. And so I hmm. essentially I wanna, started making... Can I interject oh, real quick? Because totally. you're touching on a thing that I wanted to get to is just that um, I that was just such a noticeable thing that when I was going in to watch a documentary about an artist, I was expecting what you were saying that you almost mm-hmm. made. And yes. then what I was presented with was just so different than that. And yeah, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, 100%. I, I had made that film and was like, well, this might just be it. And no one really likes it. And I'd shown it to some people that I trust and I'd sent it to some film festivals. And it was like not sticking at all. And I was like, God damn it. I thought I was, I thought I had this like brilliant character and I care so much about him and all, there's all this stuff that I know. And I, I just, it just wasn't coming across. So I essentially started making a new film out of the material. I was like, well, maybe I can use some of the road trip material and I can make this sort of like poetic uh, narrative film. And I, well, I'll never say it's a documentary. I'll just, it'll just be sort of, so I, I sort of pulled out all the sound bites. I started over, I called it uh, Solomon. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was like its final working title before we came back around to Good Monsters. But then, so really the first part of that film was, is like me experimenting with the style of just watching him. Because I hadn't shot that much. I mean, it turned out I'd shot a lot of Verite-style stuff, but I had, I, I just, I, I, I had this, like, incessant, like, need to put in all this information about him mm-hmm. and, like, stack it full of, like, facts. And once I pulled all that stuff out and, like, gave up and, and just started watching him and the way he moves and, like, his sort of energy and, like, elliptical way of thinking and, like, his, and, and really being drawn in by, instead of making it about how he makes his work, it was about saying, like, well, if I were going to make a film version of his work or the way he mm. thinks, like, what would that feel like? Mm. And I think his work has so much heart, uh, not on the face, but, like, once you dig into it, that I think that's, like, that helped uh, a lot to sort of... Uh, and then and then it became about, like, not worrying... Because, like I said, we went on this road trip, and that was, like, a clear... There was, there's a clear narrative to a road trip or a clear trajectory. We went from one place to the next place to the next place. And I, I sort of started organizing the footage that way. Like, well, then we were in New Orleans, and this is what happened in New Orleans, and then we were in Austin. This is what happened in Austin, and that didn't work at all because it wasn't. There was no. It was. It needed to be about like what was the emotional uh, arc during that stuff, and how can that stuff be visually symbolic of the things he's going through. So it didn't. It didn't. The audience doesn't need to know. Like now we're in Austin, and Austin uh, did this to us. It was just about like well that one shot of him drinking at the bar kind of drunk really fits in this mood right now where he's kind of losing his mind Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the things Catherine and i talk a lot about with like the films that we watch and the ones that we end up liking are the ones that avoid just information dumps and really kind of focus on that like kind of trusting your audience a little bit like maybe it's not important that that we know every single thing that's happening but like you said, right. like focusing on that emotional arc, like maybe the story yeah. is taking place, 
but maybe the timeline is skewed. Because <laughs> right. yeah, there was one point where I was like, oh, are they in a different city? But then mm-hmm. it's just sort of like a fleeting thought because you're like, that's not the point. It's mm-hmm. more of why is he creating art? What is his personal journey versus, yeah, I guess the place is kind of irrelevant. And yeah, yeah that was... So do, were you editing as you were going along and trying to figure out what you needed? Um, and what was that process like? Because that seems like <laughs> a bit... Uh, yeah, no, it, yeah. Was, it was, I mean... I would have never abandoned the film because it wasn't in my, it's not in my nature, but it was, uh, and it's such a relief now to be on the other end of it. I mean, quite frankly, <laughs> because I, I was like, I've, I, for all my films, both narrative and documentary, because uh, the approach is almost the same for me. Uh, I do a lot of improvised uh, feature narrative work as well. So the, I'm me always sort of shoot, <laughs> shooting and cutting. Yeah. So I like each other's work. <laughs> um, I, uh, I uh, am always shooting, cutting, shooting, cutting, and trying to like sort of piece. It's like it, for me, it's constantly trying to crack that structural puzzle and emotional puzzle of the film. Uh, and so it, it was. It was a. It was a tough road to get to even the first version of the film that I didn't that no one liked, uh, and 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 I didn't like that I wasn't happy with. But uh, the 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 final version of the film, the film that you saw. Uh, was actually fairly easy to get to once I gave up all the bullshit and just like gave into the film and let it be this sort of poetic uh, thing. Um, then the film, like I had all these over all these years, I had all these little pieces that I had worked on that mm-hmm. could suddenly made sense to me that suddenly could work. Um, and, and when I allowed them, when I allowed the footage to be fresh again, you know, I had, I had especially that first summer, I'd shot for like maybe a week, and then I'd spent a year just cutting that footage just like a week's worth of footage it was like three three or four shooting days total uh worth of footage and i spent a year just thinking about it and i was like god this, i didn't make a film <laughs> so well uh, and it turns out there's i made about 15 minutes of a film maybe i don't even know if there's that much of that stuff in there but it was like vital to i mean i you know there's at least there's you know 30 hours of stuff that's like totally vital to the, to the fabric of the film that's not in the actual cut so all those different edits all those different shoots like they're all they're all baked in somehow, for sure. I was going to ask: Did you seek out any um, like advice from Eric while editing, or did he kind of have a say in the final product? He was always invited to see the first cut for sure, and I wanted him. I would never show the film without his blessing. In fact, we didn't do any like I didn't do any release for him until the film was done uh, because I wanted it to be um, his story. And and in some ways too, it's like. And I, so I'd sought out, like, I was, in, in for him, once he, he first saw a cut, he saw the first, like, the first version of it, essentially, uh, that had about maybe two years ago. And he, I mean, he loved it just because it was like, well, this is our, you captured our conversations. Like, all these years we've just been talking, and now this is like seeing them all at once. It was sort of like this uh, photo album in a way. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I think he, he just wanted me to push it, you know, that it was okay. I always, you know, we like we censored his father's name in the in this version of the film stuff like that where like input like that was really important to me that maybe he had like you know when in the early days he might have been like well who cares my you know he was he was angry with his father in a lot of ways uh but that softened a little bit and so like his his opinions have changed and even now you know he said he has to accept that the film is sort of a time capsule that stuff he says in the film that he felt in the moment has changed and shifted and you know as it does when you're a person <laughs> so um yeah i would say that he he certainly our conversations helped inform the edit but he wasn't sitting over my shoulder or anything as far as because uh in many ways it, what's what's fascinating to me is that i hear myself in the edit too and my mm-hmm. voice through him and through troy i mean I, that's always the case when you when you cut a film but like there there's moments where he's talking about feeling uh, you know, but when they're talking about like exploiting characters and all this stuff, and it was like having that in the film is also my own insecurity of like what am I doing to Eric or doing to the biracial experience? You know, am I am I any authority to uh, be portraying that or helping portray that? You know. So I found really fascinating his struggle with his like dual identity, and I found that a mm-hmm. bit relatable and how he was kind of getting lost in that and found a lot of isolation because he's both potentially bipolar, biracial his artist life, non-artist life, and then both the upbringing between his dad and his mom. Was that also something 
because I think as artists in general, we kind of have to deal with that. Like, what is our true identity? Is that something that sure. you brought into the film as well, or that it was more of his story? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think now, even thinking about it, it's like I, I'm sure. I mean, he was po- he he was constantly posed this question of like, who am I and yeah. What is blackness, and am I black enough? Am I white enough? You know, and that's you hear that across the board. I think uh, in many biracial uh, stories, and certainly biracial artists, and biracial artists that we had met along the way for this film, who felt that uh, they sort of are always right and towing the line between two different sort of identities. Uh, and I, I mean, I think most artists can relate to that as well, um, to some extent. I mean, to the extent that like, and most people can relate to this idea that we we are. Uh, multiple people at once, you know, and it's not, it goes much beyond uh, your sort of racial identity. And I think what, and what our conversations that we've had even recently, where I think, you know, what Eric struggled with is how he perceived his blackness even then and like how he perceives it now or how he like that as a, an ever shifting identity uh, uh, for everyone. And I think that it's not, he, that's what he was afraid. Like, I don't want to put that in stone in a film because I'm going to change my feelings about it and that it's, and in some ways I worried that like I was sort of pushing like, well, I need a, I need an answer for the film and I need like you to tell me, uh, because I don't, because I'm, it's just, it's an unknown to me. Um, and so, uh, and luckily with a lot of grace, Eric's taught me lots of, lots of things about that. So, uh, um, yeah, I would say that the, the idea of identity, um, came from from eric but certainly i wrestled with it too and i wrestled a lot with uh, you know and and it wasn't his uh obligation to me or to the film to define any of that you know and i don't know that he was even ready to um but it was a part of his life and thing ultimately it's been a good thing for him to have to wrestle with but i think it's better that it isn't defined because it makes it so relatable because that's always such it's just always a journey of figuring out who you are and like he said, one of my favorite things he said is like the chapters of your life and it's mm-hmm. things are constantly changing. And so your identity, it's never set in stone. And right. I think that was captured super well. Yeah. It's also like who, who you are to other people and how, you know, you're, if, if we're mirrors to other people's perceptions of ourselves mm-hmm. and how that, how that changes. And like in our, in our different chapters, we're different identities because we're interacting sometimes with different people in different situations, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of always, always changing. And what's fascinating, uh, I think, in the case of this film is, like, he was taking the time to reflect on very specific moments that he could, like, see. Like he said, the chapters. He, he could identify chapters in his life. I thought that was really interesting. And that has uh, some, somewhat to do with, I mean, he's, he's still a young man, but, like, it has to do with getting to a certain age, too, where you can kind of take a little time to, to check in. Like, wow, I'm a completely different person than I was. Um, and that's the, that's the beautiful thing about making these personal films too is like they really are capturing time. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious to talk about kind of switching gears a little bit to um, you and yeah, I mean, you've made so many films and like you said, you're making like a film a year and then mm-hmm. you worked on this film for, uh, for a while for five years. And uh, how do you keep motivated and inspired and yeah. Well, it's uh, some of it's impulsive. I, I've been thinking a lot about how I, I mean, I impulsively create because if I don't, I'm worried that my heart's going to stop or something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it's really a fear of death. That's my inspiration. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think there's a long line of people like that. But, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I for the first time in a while, the other day I was, I, you know, I've been thinking about this like 12 projects in the year kind of thing and thinking about just like, really opening my mind to what that means and what I could make that's like, you know, I, I shoot a ton of like food videos and uh, for like commercial stuff. And, and then I was like, well, what can we, how can we expand what we do with food and like make other, you know, other work and like how, how you know, I don't know, just I've been, and for the first time I stopped, I mean, for the last couple of years I, I was thinking about like, how can I make projects that do well on Amazon? You know, like NSFW did pretty good. Other films have done pretty okay as far as like, Movies that cost nothing, making something, and uh, and I started to focus a lot on that. Like, well, how can what's the poster going to be? What's the like? How can we make money making movies? And for the first time recently, I was like, I just stopped giving a shit about that at all, and was like, I just want, 
if I want to make a 40 minute poem, like I'm going to do that because like the pet, it's not about the royalty check. It's like really the true, and it seems cliche, but it's like the true joy of creating. And like, I started to feel some of that come back, uh, where it was like, I just, I'm thinking about a project or an idea because I just love the idea of making it. Like, I love the idea of spending time with, uh, people. And my, my brother always says this. My, I make a lot of films, a lot of work with my brother. And, uh, he says, we make, we make films to have friends. And, um, so that really is like, as, uh, I make enough commercial work to know that there's like, and it's not completely heartless or soulless because it's not possible for me to do that, but it is nice to, to lean back into the personal projects and get inspired by just watching people and just getting obsessed about how, uh, we interact with each other and how our relationships and, uh, change and, and morph and, and, uh, that stuff's not going to go away. So it's like, I'm going to have to find real joy in that, uh, kind of work if I'm going to keep doing, you know, working at the way, at the pace I want to and at the level I want to. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things I was also, uh, thinking about because you and I, um, come from making films with like no money that have a yeah. specific, like, you know, like we're just going to do it. We're going to get together on the weekends and, and then we're going right. to edit in our free time and put it out there. And how do I articulate this though? No, I mean, I hear what you're saying as far as like, I mean, I don't, I don't wait for permission and that has a lot to do with the fact that, uh, well, some of it has a lot to do with privilege Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, uh, being patted on the back at the most basic things, probably my entire life has given me an absurd amount of, uh, courage <laughs> to, to do stuff that other people haven't, uh, dream, you know, dreamed of, or have dreamed of, but certainly didn't feel permission to do. Now, I just, I lack, I lack any sort of respect for authority and I don't, <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds no, worse no, than no. It is, no, I think that's true. No, I think, I think that's what I'm trying to get at is like, how do we as filmmakers who are in this changing media landscape mm-hmm. embrace this idea that like, uh, we always talk about how you can go make a film on your iPhone or something, or you can just make yeah. a film with what you have. But then we yeah. like get scared and we're like, oh no, mm-hmm. I need to. And we get I, in our heads. I was kind of yeah. talking to, I was texting with Ryan last night and about how I'm making this documentary and I felt the need to apologize because I was shooting it on a Canon, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like one of those things where like it creeps in even yeah. with with us, mm-hmm. you know, who are yeah. people that consider ourselves DIY people. Like, how do we get past that and just like push and make the things that we want, you know? Well, we have to ignore uh, capitalism. <laughs> to some extent, it's like, you know... That's uh, a recurring uh, theme. If, uh, if IndieWire, you know, puts out... Uh, this is going to be my little pissed off at IndieWire for a moment. But, you know, they'll do a, an article of, like, the, the 20 cameras they used at Sundance, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all the Alexa Mini, for the most part. It's basically an ad. And maybe is perhaps an ad yeah. for the Alexa Mini. Um, and... You know, then you start searching it, and then you start thinking, "Well, what can I, what can I afford that's close to that?" And then all of a sudden, B and H uh, is advertising to you on Facebook of the camera you should buy, <laughs> and that becomes the obsession. Is like, yeah. well, I can't make my thing and compete with Sundance or some other institution um, unless I have these things, unless I pay large media companies lots of my money. That I mean, double what I'll make making the film mm-hmm. to to make it. Uh, and you sort of have to break that. So that's, I mean, we're being bombarded with the bar, you know, with the line of like, this is, this is what's considered professional. This is the only way to do it. But the people that I've admired the most, uh, just fucking threw those things for a loop. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, big fan of Harmony Kareem. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think that, uh, even you know, if look you, at his, uh, yeah, even if you go back to like, uh, the films that we as like film lovers really love, like, you mentioned when we were texting last night, Grey Gardens, you know, yeah, the Maisel yeah. brothers. Like, sure, they were yeah. shooting on film, and right now we have this romantic view of, like, film being beautiful, 16 millimeter being beautiful. But they took it up because it was cheap, and you could yeah. move it around. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were using a tool. They weren't using it because 16 millimeter looked romantic. That's just what they had. 
Um, know? Did you guys see um, Crystal Mazelle's Wolfpack? Yes. Wolfpack? Yes. Um, I don't think so it's, it's that, a good film yeah it's really good Catherine. You should, we should okay, uh, have an episode down. about that oh yeah <laughs> yeah actually she she's cool she's cool so i i was lucky i the producer of that film i had worked with and so i worked i assistant edited on that film for like a month um and had the opportunity to like go through i didn't do that much good probably for the film but i got uh to spend like about a month with her in brooklyn going through all of her raw footage mm-hmm. and talking to her about her film and just like watching these interviews and she's a person who's had like pretty good access as far as like mm-hmm. she she does commercial fashion work she had she had a fair amount of access she could e- she had enough access that she could email quentin tarantino okay. um, which plays plays a little bit into the film that yeah. kids are she does a film about kids that are like obsessed with with movies mm-hmm. uh, but she was making this like on a 7d like whenever she could, she just became, she saw these kids walking around and she just started like hanging out with them and filming. And it was like, it was this obsessive need just to, to know who they were. Uh, and then at some point it became this need to like show the world who they are um, because they're like, the, it's like this really special family. And um, I don't know, I was really inspired by that, uh, by, and, and ultimately by her film, which was completely different than what I thought she was going to make. Um, and, I, and I saw in her raw footage, she had tried for, for several years to make another kind of film. You know, she had tried to do what she'd always done, like this sort of stylish, not fashion film, but was certainly drawn by her like fashion career. And ultimately, she worked with the right editor and like the right, uh, the right time, like took the right time to, to make the film that was uh, what it became. And it's a really, really wonderful, strong film. But she, she wasn't, she, she had all the access to the gatekeepers and she still made this like deeply personal work. And I think that's like that's just like an impulsive thing. Like that's just like there's people who just have that in them that can't not make the film no matter what uh, what sort of barriers are set up uh, against us. You also we also have to stop. I mean, it's the nature to want to be accepted by other people and want to. And I mean, I talk about gatekeepers, but like we we want. I would love for the New York, the Brooklyn film scene to embrace me or uh, to play movies at BAM, you know? And I feel like I'm, I've made films as good as any of the films that are playing at lots of New York film festivals or film festivals across the country that I can't, you know, year after year after year, you know, I'm submitting work that I really believe in and I can't break through. And it's super frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but I feel you there. I can't, I can't make films for them, you know? Yeah. And ultimately I think that it's like, the body of work is going to matter. And it's like, if I can, uh, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to stack my films on top of each other and then jump the fence. Yeah. You know, I think that's like, that's the only way I can imagine building a career out of making personal, like seriously personal work. You yeah. Know? And I know Zach and I go through that too, where we're like, Oh, we need to have like a gimbal shot right here. Mm. And then I'll be like, cause you know, we need to make, make sure people know that we know how to make films. And then yeah. we'll be like, Oh, we need more coverage in this scene. Cause a two shot, this whole, th-. and then we always have to take a step back and be like, why, why we don't want yeah. to do that. Like yeah. we're, we're trying to make a film with this kind of style and with this kind of mm-hmm. tone when we go in and then we start getting scared that everybody's going to think that we don't know how to make a film like you're supposed to. And then we're like, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that that's just such a silly thing. And it's something that's like, uh, perpetuated a lot, especially in this kind of like, uh, we're really in this like YouTube era with like low budget films where everybody just like mm-hmm. on YouTube has like a channel that shows you how to use a drone or what the best camera mm-hmm. is. And, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, and it's all just to sell stuff and to have affiliate links. And <laughs> well, it know. is. Yeah, it's branded content, or it's branded content, or the attempt to be branded content. Uh, and the more, I mean, like I said, I work, I do shoot lots of like food advertising. I know yeah. what those people think they're trying to do, and they're not. They're not creative people. I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> no, um, I think that, and they're not. They, you know, yeah. and they they want to set they want to set bars and rules because that's the only way that they can understand. Uh, and, and certain structure. That's the only way they can understand how things get done. And that's how it works in their in their world, you know. So not to knock them, it's just how it works in the world. And to, to make truly personal creative work, mm-hmm. you you can't you can't yeah. abide by that by those rules. Um, yeah, I think that that's a, that's the funny thing. Is, so I start I've been working on some new stuff lately that I uh, I first started. I, I get kind of obsessed with like wanting because I'm a cinematographer as well. So like I want to mm-hmm. like light stuff beautifully and like do stuff and like push my, have a great gimbal shot or something that feels like a movie. 
and and I was doing that, and I get the, these scenes end up being so stiff feeling, and so like I'm like, what's the? It's missing that like impulsive, whatever. And I've been I've been thinking a lot about like um, this thing I'm calling like the subconscious film. Like, what's the like? I'm always documenting stuff. I'm making field notes. I'm like, if I start shooting like not really knowing where I'm going, that's okay. I'm like, what will that film look like? And then I'm starting to mess with the iPhone a little more and like shooting stuff on the iPhone and mixing like some beautifully lit, nice stuff with some iPhone footage that I'm, I'm shooting out like out in the wild. And I'm really like, it's amazing how it feels to go from like a nicely lit kind of cool, like lockdown scene to suddenly somebody first person filming and using that sort of like internet language that we're talking about, that yeah. YouTube language um, and interjecting a little bit of that stuff in there, but with the intention of like, making it messy and it really does suddenly feel like i'm looking at super eight film or 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 Maisley brothers stuff it just feels like so much more real um so i don't know i i do think that there is something about embracing uh technology and and trying to break it or make it feel more raw and real you know i think that does go a long way into you know if, uh, to me it's about having like being able to work at the pace of our ideas yeah, you know that's that's the issue with documentary, with and especially like uh, and once again, there's not I'm not mad at Netflix about it because they they're making lots of really cool films, uh, great documentary series and everything, but they they all have a look and they have a you know Netflix has like ar- not arbitrary, but they have a set of rules for what cameras you can shoot on. Yep, that's ab- that's absurd yeah. to me. That's absurd. Yeah, like I don't understand how that's even. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why we abide? Why we say oh, okay? Well, they they these business people get to decide what cameras we're going to shoot our films on, and if not, then we don't get to be part of that platform. And that platform's like has the biggest voice. Yeah, you know? I mean, unless it's like Steven Soderbergh and he's shooting on an iPhone, then it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, God, God bless him. God bless. Soderbergh yeah, for yeah. That's, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, that, that's what I appreciate about him. He's he was one of the first people that grabbed a digital camera and was like, yeah. And made mm-hmm. that film bubble. I remember that was like such a big deal because everybody's like, he made it on a handy cam. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I love that people do that. And I think that, I think that should be embraced and, and really, uh, cause it's really about the, what's in the film. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and trying to capture, we're, tra- we're capturing time, you know, we're capturing time and people mm-hmm. and, and, and there's not a certain, uh, pixel count that that can do that better than something else. Absolutely, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I've seen incredible films made in like 2017 on VHS tapes that were mm-hmm. like amazing films. <laughs> so totally. I mean, one of my favorite documentaries of all time is Tarnation. Oh, beautiful! Um, what a beautiful, beautiful, film. amazing film. And I mean, that's like mostly home video footage, right? I mean, just like early digital like messy messy footage by all standards and it's just so gorgeous Absolutely. it's such a powerful poetic film and it's that messiness that brokenness of mm-hmm. the aesthetic in general that really uh makes it so wonderful so do you have any like projects coming up that like you're really excited about or even like people you've met that you're hoping to work with or make uh, a subject you know well yeah i, I am uh, i'm making a Josh, yeah. <laughs> uh, both of you. <laughs> um, no, I, I, we've got another film that we've finished that my brother directed that I shot called For the Love of Food. Um, and it's a much more talking head documentary about um, uh, food. So now I wouldn't say food influencers, but people who, who shape food media. And uh, initially it was like, well, we'll do a film about just, you know, food writers and stuff because we had met people on like trips that we were shooting for for uh, editorial food stuff. And then uh, it ended up becoming, we, we decided, especially after the last election, that we needed to make all the work in some way political, which ultimately the work is political anyway. But um, so we, it, the film ends up really being about sort of the, the racial bias, uh, LGBTQ, and, and um, really the Me Too movement as well. It's sort of all in this like documentary that's explaining what food media is. Um, and so it's a really wonderful film. It has not, it's, it really has not, uh, it's having a hard time get its foot in the door with film festivals. I'm not entirely sure why, cause I think it's, I mean, it is mostly talking heads. Like he, my brother did an interesting thing where I would say the movie is like 
probably 90% talking heads with some like pretty B-roll, like some food, some food porn and some other stuff that is nice. But he did, it's like they kind of finish each other's sentences and it's like kind of a really cool, I think he developed a really cool talking head style, but it's, um, and it's definitely, it lives within a bubble a little bit. So, um, yeah, so that's called for the love of food and that's done and that's going to come out hopefully soon. That may end up just going out on Amazon and uh, not playing a film festival, which is, is, is ultimately fine because I think that's where its audience lives anyway because um, it's about media. Um, and then we're doing uh, another doc series pro- uh, with uh, Entourage's Adrian Grenier. Um, he uh, is building a sustainable house in, in Brooklyn and uh, for his mother. And so we've been doing this. We've been shooting for about a year, this sort of... I think it's going to be a little series. I'm not really sure what, what it's going to become, but uh, we've been documenting this house being made. Um, so that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Once it's done, it's, uh, it turns out making a documentary about a house being built is a pretty slow, arduous process. Um, it, will, it will reveal itself once the house is done, and we can look back and be like, oh, my God, there was no walls there before. Um, uh, but it is cool. It has like focused, helped shape my focus a little bit as far as like wanting to make a uh, film about uh, the environment, hmm. you know, and doing more more sort of earth focused stuff. So hopefully that's kind of the next. I really want to do a documentary about water, and oh, and not cool. just like not just like Josh Fox's like uh, that's his name right Josh Fox not like yeah. uh, fracking necessarily, but just like how the thing that happened in Flint can happen almost in any small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, in America, and it has a lot to do with whether or not there are uh, middle class or rich white people. Um, but uh, so I would like to do a film about water, just about the nature of uh, our drinking water. But I don't know if that's that's just sort of. Uh, and then lastly, I'm, I'm my my friend Richie Buenagorio. He made this film a couple of years ago, which not very many people have seen, but it's kind of amazing. Called Stage Brother, and uh, it's on Amazon. I really recommend you okay. see it. It's about his. He, uh, his sister wanted to be in Playboy, and so he became her manager. And then he, like, took her out to L.A. to audition for Playboy. And, but it really has a lot to do with their family. Um, they're, like, New Jersey Italian. Um, but we're talking about making a film in similar adult themes, but about uh, the nature of uh, sex work and sort of the people that are, at least here in New York, that are trying to educate people about it. Mm. So... Yeah, that's a long-winded answer for I'm trying to yeah. do too many things at once. So I I wanted to talk a little bit about the release of Good Monsters and cool. what's, what what is that looking like right now? Totally. Uh, well, the film's going to premiere May 3rd in Indianapolis and then plays again that weekend. Uh, and then uh, I, I put out all my stuff through this company called Film Hub, which allows me to do... Uh, they're an amazing company, actually. I'm not. They don't pay me to, to talk about them. I wish they did because I really think they're they've like changed the game. Uh, but it's it's a way for me to get on a lot of big platforms without having to sign uh, bad bad deals because it's sort of I get to keep all the rights to my films. I get like seventy percent royalties. Uh, they're just kind of an amazing uh, platform for delivering uh, to all kinds of places. So. The idea is to put good monsters out. I'm gonna. It's set to go, so hopefully I'll pull the trigger to, to land shortly after the film festival, uh, which ends like May 12th or something. So ideally, good monsters will be available to watch by the end, by the end of May on Amazon. That's my goal because I want to use. It's like the first time where I've been able to sort of control this, where I want to like. I, I really. I would. I would love to have a film festival run, but also very happy to just premiere in Indianapolis. Like I said, I've been working on it for several years. I'm ready for a little bit of closure. Um, premiere in Indianapolis and then have it just available for people to watch shortly after. I think that's sort of like my version of day and date. Um, so hopefully by the end of the May, it'll be available on Amazon and a bunch of other VOD platforms. And that, that kind of reminds me, I wanted to ask the question on who had the idea of the dancing with the masks on with the fireworks. <laughs> yeah. like, well, that's a good question. I don't, I think that was probably a combination I mean, he had built, we had this idea to put those, like, he had done these, like, wooden cutouts of these, like, what he calls his good monsters. Uh, we were going to put them all over town, and he had put some out and, like, let, you know, they're usually gone within a day. But they're really, I mean, they're tough to make. He's got to, like, cut them out of, like, plywood um, and paint them and, you know. Um, so it wasn't easy just to drop 30 around town, but I was like, well, we had three good ones. Let's at least get this captured on camera uh doing the dancing thing and i always want i always wanted to do i really want to do a dance film in general like i want to do a film that's primarily dance so it was my opportunity to like have him 
play around it. He loves, just like me, and you see across the board with most of my films, I love like animal masks and stuff that's like people wearing masks. So for whatever weird reason, uh, lifelong obsession with costumes, I guess. But um, he, uh, yeah, so that was sort of a combination thing. And that's where we wanted to have these scenes that were like both uh, a, a doc- obviously documentary, but also uh, projections or versions of his art. Where I was like, this is what I would do if I were making your art or like showing your art. Um, over choosing that over showing process, I guess essentially. Because um, watching someone paint isn't that exciting. Watching someone put a mask and dance in front of fire is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I think I'm gonna call this episode that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are rad. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks really. for coming no, on. Thanks for talking yeah. about your film. Yeah. Oh yeah, where can, where can people find you and your other work? Uh, you can go to ryanbayless.com or robelfilms.com. That's R-O-B-E-L films.com. Uh, and, and certainly most of the films have landed on Amazon Prime. Not safe for work. NSFW has since been kicked off of Amazon, but uh, hopefully it'll come back soon. I don't know. They're, they're, they're starting to censor some films, and that one gets a little more censored than others. <laughs> so... so. Um, so... I do want to like shout out to people to watch. Uh... Oh shit! Why am I forgetting the name of it? The one about your wedding. Oh, Ice cool. Saints. Ice Saints. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, gonna say Ice Cold Saints. Souls, and then I was like, no, that's that... the Paul Giamatti movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Cold I... Souls is the follow-up. I want to <laughs> see. Yeah, I, <laughs> I want to suggest that everyone go watch Ice Saints. It's a beautiful blend of like fiction and non. Yeah. And. Uh... It's one of my favorite films. Like I'm just gonna say that, like hands down. Like, oh, it's that's just, so nice. It's a beautiful film. So thank you so much. Absolutely, really and nice. I'll put links to all that stuff in the cool. bio. And if there's anything you want to say to close out, this is your time. Well, I just I just love what you guys are doing. I'm so glad you're doing this this podcast. It's been fun listening to at the gym. So uh, <laughs> I hope uh, you keep doing it. I'm excited to watch both of your guys' new work. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's a lot there about just making the thing you want to make, not letting people discourage you from making the art you want to make. And when we say things like, oh, you can just make a phone, a movie with your iPhone, you know, just go do it. Yeah. And be resourceful and yeah, don't doubt your ideas. I think that's the biggest thing. So have an idea, just go start filming it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And you can find us at on Instagram at a documentary podcast. And our website at documentarypodcast.com. And you can follow me at Joshua LeBure. And then me at CMS Moments. And if you have any suggestions for films that you want us to talk about, let us know. Yeah, please do. And until next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you.